Hi, it's episode 112. Today, I'm talking with Hunter from Mindful Mama Mentor. Hunter and I are discussing parenting and control. How much control do we really have over our kids anyways? You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I'm talking with Hunter Clark-Fields. Hunter is the voice behind Mindful Mama Mentor. She has a podcast and a blog and brings an incredible amount of insight to finding calm in parenting. Today, I'm excited to be talking to her more about how much control do we really have over our kids and is there an illusion that we have control? But first, I want to bring you a quick word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Simple Contacts. So you might be thinking what I was thinking, which was, oh great, a mail order contact lens company. But here's why Simple Contacts is different. So I've had the same contact lens prescription for probably about 15 years. I've been wearing contact lenses for 20 years. And every year I have to pay to have an appointment to have my prescription renewed. And those appointments can get really expensive. Not to mention it's one more thing out of my day that I have to stop and go do. So Simple Contacts is actually an app that does a vision test right in the app. The results are reviewed by doctors and your prescription is renewed and sent on its way. You never even have to leave your house. Not only does it save time, but it saves money. I think it took me about five minutes to do it. And the exam is only $20, which you might pay up of $200 if you have to go to a visit. Now, of course, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. It's a super easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. So if you go to simplecontacts.com forward slash simple and use the promo code simple, you can save even more money and get $30 off your first order. Again, that's simplecontacts.com forward slash simple. Use promo code SIMPLE. Just give it a try. The app itself is really cool. Back to today's episode. Today, Hunter Clark Fields and I are talking about control in parenting. In an era of parenting where we are expected to do everything and to be everywhere, we can often feel like we don't have a heck of a lot of control over our kids. And Hunter and I discuss why that's a normal feeling and maybe it's even a healthy feeling. Our children are humans who were not born as blank slates and who have their own agenda and ideas. And it is possible to find a balance between getting our own needs met and meeting the needs of our children as well. If you want to ask questions or leave comments, you can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 112. And there you can also find links to the things that Hunter and I are discussing today as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. Hi, Hunter. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm so glad to be here. It's great to talk to you tonight. So Hunter, I was introduced to you through the Simple Families community. I've had more than one person in the Simple Families community say, you need to interview Hunter and you need to, (laughs) you need to hear what she has to say. So I'm so excited to have you on the show this morning to learn more about you and what you do. That's so cool. Wow. Rock on. Shout out to that person and that other person right now. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So Hunter, tell us a little bit about you and your work and your family. Well, um, I'm a mindful mama mentor. So that means I I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate mindfulness in their daily lives and to just make things a little simpler, more peaceful. And I've also 
creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I do the Mindful Mama podcast. So I love talking to people like you. <laughs> and uh, my family, I am the mom of two girls. They're ages 11 and 8 now. But when my oldest was young, I mean, she's pretty much a highly sensitive kid. And I'm a highly sensitive person, which, of course, I figured all that out later. But uh, we really, really, really struggled when she was young. And, you know, I just, I, th I think I come at all of this and the coaching moms and, and the work that I do through the lens of like, I know how hard it is and how triggered you can get and how, um, how it can make you feel like you're kind of going crazy. And it's, sometimes it seems like all the sort of stuff in the media is like about how you know, fluffy and lovely parenting can be, and it's not all that fluffy and lovely, although I did have this lovely moment earlier today where I just walked out, I'm working on writing a book, and I walked out of my, uh, my studio door, and there was my eight-year-old, like, swinging in the hammock, reading a book herself, it was so cool, I was like, oh, you know, it was one of those nice moments, so I don't know, there's a, there's a little snapshot for you. I also had one of those moments this morning with my two kids playing together in a room by themselves. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful to see. And I was thinking about it and I was you know, like, you know, this is really beautiful, but it's also not the norm, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is why I appreciate the beauty of it so much because if it happened all the time and that's what life looked like all the time, then I wouldn't be able to appreciate those, those quiet, calm moments. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's so great to appreciate them because and kind of really lean into that, you know, because we have this negativity mindset normally, right? It's like not our fault. <laughs> this is just like default for human beings is that we notice the negative, you know, and weight that more heavily than we do the positive. So, you know, just knowing that about ourselves, like when we find those moments, it's like, ah, oh, yes, like, let's acknowledge them and lean into them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more on that for sure. So Hunter, I have a theme each month on the podcast. And this month we've been talking about bigger picture parenting issues and, and challenges. And we t I talked with Krista from A Life in Progress in episode 109. We talked about raising successful kids. No, I'm sorry, that was episode 110 about raising successful kids. Um, and then last week I talked to Tracy Cutchlow and we talked about how do we speak to our children and the growth mindset and the importance of the language that we use with our kids? So today I want to talk with you a little bit about control and what that means. And I know that I'm a person who likes to have a lot of control. It makes me feel secure and calm when I have control over my days and over my time. But at the same time, I often feel like I don't have any control over my kids, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, so I'm curious what you think the word control means in terms of parenting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's control is an illusion that we hold on to for dear life, right? Um, I yeah, I had a great conversation with. Hal Runkle, who wrote The Screen Free Parent, he says, the biggest myth that we're told in parenting is that we are responsible for our kids. And because, and I think that's so beautiful because really from the point that they, you know, like when they're very little, they let us know that they've got their own ideas. They're going to make their own decisions. They're going to do things. They, you know, we can't, they're not little puppets that we can control. We can make, do things. I mean, <clears throat> 
control in parenting is is this uh, slippery thing because we think we 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 have this pressure, this idea in society. We think that we ought to have it, like we ought to have control of our children, right? Like that sounds really reasonable, right? Like <laughs> we should have control of our children. But the truth is like they they do make their own decisions and they make their own choices. And actually in a lot of ways we have um we have more influence in some ways than we than we have control. I think that, you know, our control is really like we're parenting isn't like about about like, you know, we know this, right? We know that it's not about molding a child and making them into something they want to be. Like we know this as soon as they're born, like there's a whole complete human being kind of right there already. And it's like shock and awe. Oh my gosh. Like I remember that when my daughter was born, like, oh my gosh, there's a, suddenly a fifth person in this room, a whole person. And, and then we kind of forget that thinking that we have to like, kind of make them into something. But the the truth is like we can't and and that that whole idea that um we have to you know have control can be damaging because it makes us think that we have to sort of make them do things and kind of what i want to say is that parenting you know we're it's we're in it's not about creating them into something it's about our relationship that we have with another human being and our our power is more a power of influence. It's a power of modeling. And and yes, there are moments where we're, we're like keeping our kids physically safe, right? Like creating bar- barriers and then creating boundaries and and um, and those are all like really important. We can talk more about that, but it. I think it's an illusion. I think it's an illusion, like in more than parenting, though. You know, like we think that we have a lot of control over our lives in some ways, but, you know, we're all of the nature to grow old, get sick, have ill health, and all these things happen to us, and we can do a lot of things about them, but, um, you know, life is unpredictable, and, and it's there's this impermanent nature to life that we can't, that is, is frightening, so we, we try to, and we want to control. So I agree, Hunter, and I think that when I'm raising my kids, I, pre-mom years, I always thought I was going to raise obedient kids who always did what I said and followed me around. And now I actually don't even really want to raise obedient kids. There's something about the word obedient that really turns me off and makes me feel like, you're right, I'm not raising little puppets. What do you think about the word obedient and what does that mean in parenting and in the parent-child relationship? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like that that word kind of turns me up. I mean, because really, that's about you know that's kind of the the paradigm of like paradigm of power and control, right? And this idea of the I am the authority and you will do what I say because I'm going to either you know like do some kind of punishment. I'm gonna like either make you physically hurt uh, to, to, to change your behavior, or I'm going to make you like, make your life hurt (laughs) to change your behavior. And, um, and both of those things are, they're kind of seen as like effective because it might modify behavior in the short term. Um, but they're actually not terribly effective in the long term because you're, you know, if you, if you have obedient kids who are doing what you say, because they're scared of being, hurt or punished or they're being threatened with being hurt or punished, then they're, they're just doing 
whatever you're, you know, you're asking them to do, like to, to, to avoid this unpleasant thing, they're not doing it because they have kind of any internal motivation to do it. They're doing it. There, there's no inner desire to like do the right thing. And, and as soon as like you're, it, it really encourages like kids to lie. It causes resentment. It, 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 there's all these problems with it that end up making it like really kind of ineffective in the long term. And then you know, if you have some, you know, if you have a kid who bites that, that whole story, like hook, line and sinker, like I'm going to be obedient, you know, I don't know, like, do you want to be totally obedient in life and always be obeying the authority? Like, there's definitely some questioning that we need. We need actually kids um, going into sort of the world we live in, like, we need kids who kind of that authoritarian thing it is sort of sets kids up to maybe be a good worker right and to do what they're told in the assembly line or whatever but that's not what we need going into life like we need actually kids who are creative and do the right thing because they want to do the right thing and can think for themselves and and all those other wonderful things it, it's really sort of a I think it's almost like an, a relic of the industrial age or, or being a farm worker or something, you know? Yes. And I think what I see very commonly is that our parents' generation comes from that mindset. You know, I was raised in, a, in an authoritarian home. And for anyone that's not familiar with what an authoritarian parenting style is, it's, a, it's the parenting style that you do what I say, you're obedient to me because I said so, that sort of parenting style. And I think that many of us of our generation who are parenting young children now were raised that way. And we will apply that parenting style by default because that's what we know. Um, but I am seeing a whole generation of people who want to do things a little bit different and who are open to learning different ways. And most commonly I see, and now this is, of course, is not a, a too broad of a generalization, but most commonly I'll see men that this um, sort of obedient, you do what I say, will really resonate strongly with men um, and that there can be sort of a conflict between a mother and a father and the way that they're approaching this with their kids. Do you see that much? Oh, all the time. <laughs> All the time. So moms take the mindful parenting course and in mindful parenting, we teach, you know, the people think like it's either you're either authoritarian or, or you're kind of permissive, right? And the kids are running the show, but the, really there's this third path, right? Where there's, you have a relationship and, you know, you're kind of getting your needs met and your kids are getting their needs met. So that's what we teach, right? And um, this path is more effective in, in the long run because you, you know, you create kids who actually want to cooperate you, with you from the inside out because they want to. But um, in the short term, it, it is, you know, it may be more challenging. You might, might have more moments where you realize, oh, I actually don't, uh, I can't, I don't control my kids, you know, completely in that, in that authoritarian way using fear because, and then, you know, what do I do? So we, we kind of walk from that into that sort of murky area in the middle and then sort of bring people to the other side. But um, what happens is that moms take the course and they're all on board. They see their relationships start to change and then they get so frustrated <laughs> with their husbands because the, the husbands is kind of going sort of this old school style and, and using, using the punishment or even the spanking or, and, and they feel really frustrated and they, they feel like, um, and it is better if, if ever, everybody's kind of on the same page, but, but what happens hope a lot of times, which is really nice is that 
as the moms start to shift their way of, of parenting and they start to get better results, right? Like their kids are kind of cooperating with them better. There's less resistance and less argument, less fighting. Um, then the dad is kind of like, um, so what are you doing? <laughs> and they start to kind of mimic it a little bit. So it, it can, can change over, but it definitely is something I see with a lot of men for sure, at least from my own uh, anecdotal kind of you know way. Yes. And I can think of one example offhand that I saw that come up with my husband and I, and we are very much authoritative parents. But sometimes when my husband is struggling with a behavior with our kids, I do see him revert back to that authoritarian style that he was raised with and feel and get that feeling that, you know, when I ask them to do something, they should do it. And it came up one day when, not one day, many days when he was trying to brush was my son's teeth and he wasn't brushing his teeth when he asked him to do it. And the, and I really feel like you sort of have two different paths you can take on this, right? If you ask your kid to brush their teeth and they don't brush their teeth and they're not being obedient, you can really, what's your option? Force them to brush their teeth. Um, I think when kids don't do what we ask them to do, that's sort of what we have to rely on. We have to rely on physical force uh, mm-hmm. or, or more severe punishments in order to get them to do what we need them to do. And that's not the path that I'm going down with my kids. That's not the path my husband is going down. We're not going to physically jam a toothbrush into somebody's mouth. We're going to get them to cooperate first. Um, but, you know, and I said to him, I was like, you know, well, we can't force him because we can't jam the toothbrush into his mouth and force him to brush his teeth. So instead, we have to get him to cooperate. And one of the ways that I love to get my kids to cooperate is through playfulness. And mm-hmm. it, that's something that my husband struggled with at first because it's sort of like, if I'm gonna, it's not not everything has to be fun, I think is what he said. And um, But it was like, you know what? We have a choice. We could either be angry and upset because they're not brushing their teeth, or we can flip them on their head and tickle them and make them laugh and and really lighten the mood and say, all right, now time to brush your teeth. And so often that works in my house. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Of course, like making it so much more fun is a huge, a huge help. Like, you know, I, I like to sort of revert back to like the robot voice or the Southern Bell voice. <laughs> Those are like sort of my go to. I like, love that. When I'm reaching for the silly mom is like, you know, it is time to brush your teeth now. You must brush your teeth, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, but there's other ways to kind of create boundaries too. Like, um, you know, if, if your kid's not brushing your teeth, you know, like, whoa, okay, sorry, we can't be having like things like bread and sugar or any of those things. So that's going to turn to sugar on your teeth and you're not going <laughs> to, that's, I'm sorry, you chose not to brush your teeth this morning you know, dude, you can't, you can't have this, you know, this, uh, this other thing to eat, but you hear you can have these vegetables and some peanuts <laughs> and, yeah. and, then like, and making it a choice, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. Another thing that we do with my son is we talk about him having dragon breath. I'm like, Oh no, you have dragon breath. Ah, we can't have dragons in the house. And just, just to really lighten the mood and to lighten our own spirits. Because I think when we're playful with our kids, that, we feel kinder and more gentle and our the weight is lifted off of our shoulders. So in a situation when you're really getting stressed out, if you can try to flip that switch and be playful, I think so often that it changes our demeanor, which changes the demeanor of our kids. 
Yeah. And, and it really takes, um, it really takes a lot of self-awareness in that moment. You know, it takes, um, so, you know, one of the things that I teach is, is mindfulness, mindfulness practices so that you can kind of slow down that sort of like runaway train of reactivity because that reactivity is like a, it's like a muscle in the brain that you've practiced many times. Like it might just be from your own parent child relationship. All of a sudden you have this reactivity that's, you know, latent that's kind of come out in you and it can be, uh, it, you know, that, that whole process in the body is like a bile of being reacted of, of getting angry. It's like, it's a biological process that, you know, you have like back to control, Danae, like you have limited control over, right? Like this, sometimes this just happens. And so that's why I come to always come back to mindfulness as a practice, because as we practice the opposite, like as we practice being calm and non-reactive to whatever's happening in the present moment, we're actually building that muscle in the brain as well. And, and then once, but then when, you know, the teeth, tooth brushing, you know, we're triggered by that, then we're more likely to be able to uh, get into that non-reactive state and kind of make a choice. Oh, maybe I'll be try to do that silly thing they said, you know, uh, rather than um, let that reactivity kind of run away with you. It, but uh, we talk about that reactivity. And sometimes we talk about these things like, oh, we'll just say this, that, you know, skillful thing, or we'll do these things. And it's not so simple, you know, because this, our reactivity is a biological reaction that like, it's not like you chose to, you know, lose your, your bananas, <laughs> you lose your, lose it with your kid. Like no one chooses that. It's not like you're making a conscious choice. This just happens. And I really want to tell moms out there and dads that that's not your fault like there's not it's not something you've chosen it's not your fault that you're reactive and losing it with your kid like that's a, a biological reaction that's happening in your body that's that stress response that you're feeling threatened and you can practice the opposite reaction and you can practice tools to be non-reactive but it's really important to practice those tools to be non-reactive um, before you get to the big game, right? Before you get to the game, which is that triggered reactive moment, right? We need to, we're not going to send our our kid into the Little League World Series without ever going to our practice. <laughs> that would just be cruel and they won't be able to do it, right? So it's the same with us. Like if we're going to be non-reactive in those moments and try to be calm ourselves down and be playful and do all these wonderful things like it's really helpful it really makes a huge difference to practice that on a regular basis and that's where that that mindfulness practice really is incredibly important and really incredibly helpful for parents right and I think that if we we can we can practice it both ways too like with my husband it was like all right even if you don't buy into this playfulness stuff just try it so mm -hmm. You know, one night he did the teeth brushing and tried to force it and do it the the obedient control route. And the other night he did it playful and like, just see how it goes. Like what, what is there to lose? And when you, when you figure out that you don't really have any control and you let go of that and you try something new, I think that it, it can be so impactful and that experience can be so different. And it's like when when you realize it's, it's not about you and it's not about what you're asking your kid to do. It's about, you know, getting that mutual respect and getting that cooperation. It, it changes, it changes everything with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that control, like, I think it's such a great thing to talk about because that, 
you know, we can see the illusion, right? Like if we can let go of the illusion of control, that, that opens us up to these, trying these new things that are, are more skillful and effective, right? And then, but we can also look at and say, well, what can I control? And I can, you know, hopefully can it control me. <laughs> <laughs> more or less, but I can also control my environment. I can make it so that we have a regular rhythm at teeth brushing time. I can, um, you know, I can control how much screen time they get. You know, I can control uh, a lot of different things. I can create boundaries, a lot of boundaries with like the environment and the rhythm and things like that. Yes. And I really love, there's a quote from your, from you, Hunter, that says how we show up as a parent is our responsibility. And I think that is so important because when it comes down to it, we can't control our kids' behavior, but we can control our own behavior. And I think that sort of underlies everything you do. Is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we go into this parenting and we're like so frustrated and we just want to fix the child, right? If only we fix the child, then I will feel better, right? Like that's what comes down to, right? If I can just make you do what I want, make you better, and I'm seeing all your flaws and y'all, that's so frustrating, then I will feel better. And it's actually kind of like the reverse. Like actually, we need to prioritize helping ourselves feel better that's our responsibility, right? It's not our kids' responsibility to give us fulfillment, to make us happy, to make us fulfilled human beings. And that's like kind of a hard thing to hear, right? Because we go into mothering because we want this, like we want that feel good feeling. Like we, we envision ourselves like walking down. I envision myself like walking in a museum, like holding my child's hand. <laughs> and we want that feel good feeling. And then what we have to realize is that you know, it, it, I think um, Shivali Savari said this really beautifully. At one point I saw her talk and she said something like, yeah, I love your kids, but care about them less. You know, and I think what, you know, what that means is like, you know, don't let all their actions, all their behaviors, everything they do be the all, be all and end all of your life, right? Don't find your own fulfillment, right? Find your own peace, take care of you. And as you make yourself a priority and then help yourself become more grounded, help yourself become more peaceful. That's really the, some of the, the best parenting you can do because your kids see how to live that kind of life, right? Like you, if you're showing them how to live a life where you're, you know, you're like yelling at them to stop yelling, like it doesn't make any sense. It's really confusing. Or if you're totally stressed out all the time, or if you're always anxious and you're always rushing from one thing to the next, well, then that's how you're teaching them to live life. But if you can make you a priority and actually make enjoying your own life a priority, make your own fulfillment, your own peace, a priority, then they're going to learn that from you. They're going to see that's how you live life. And then you're going to be in a place where you can respond to your kids more effectively and more thoughtfully. Yes. In my early in my career, I worked as a more traditional child and family therapist. And I worked mostly with children one hour a week, one-on-one -on -one, and doing some family work as well. But I found out very quickly that I really didn't have much impact one hour a week working with a child. Um, <laughs> you can't just drop a kid off at an office. Now, not to say that therapy is not valuable and there are certain children who really benefit, but most of the situations I was seeing, kids were getting dropped off for an hour a week and I wasn't able to fix that kid 
But what I could help to fix was some of the dynamics and some of the things going on within the family and specifically in the parenting. And that's where the real work is, working with the parents, those people who are in the home 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that was sort of the light switch for me. That was like, you know what, I'm I'm not working with, I can't work with kids anymore. I really need to work where the important stuff happens and that's with the parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think about that all the time too, because, you know, there's all these different, there's all these different issues in the world and all these different problems in the world and a lot, so many things, you know, and I think about creating an impact, like you're talking about Danae, like there's so many things that come down to people are unable to take care of their difficult feelings. Like, and they, they bust that out in all kinds of horrible ways in the world, right? Because people are feeling badly. And if we, if I can help parents, if I can help them take care of their difficult feelings, feel better, feel more uh, relaxed, more peaceful, more grounded, then they're going to, in turn, they're going to model that for kids. They're going to like, here, kids, this is, I'm going to teach you. This is how we don't, we don't, take care of difficult feelings and take out our frustration by yelling and screaming at people and making them, forcing them to do what we want them to do, you know, we can start to really create powerful shifts working with parents. Absolutely. For generations. Yes. And I've often heard parents say, you know, if my kid would just be calm and would behave, (laughs) then I would be calm and I would behave. So it's sort of like the chicken or the egg, right? Who needs to be calm first and, and where, how do we, how do we get that ball rolling? And I really feel like as a parent, I know that if I can manage my own big feelings and my own sense of calm, that that's when I see the best behavior and I see the most cooperation from my kids. Absolutely. And it's crazy to think that we're going to ask kids to be the ones to do that. Like right. <laughs> their brains aren't even developed yet. They're by definition immature, you know, like they're just not there yet. Like it's crazy. Like parents, when you, when we think we're going to, if my kid would just be calm, then I'll be, or just behave or whatever, then I'll be okay. We're giving all our power to our kids. You know, if you think about it that way, like you're giving all your power to your kids, like you have to take back that power and empower yourself to figure out how to be grounded, be calm, be peaceful. Right. Because I think as parents, you know, we are our own secret weapon in that we are the best tool that we have. And that is how do we take care of ourselves? And I think so often that phrase gets misconstrued to mean that like, you know, as a mom, if I'm taking care of myself, I'm getting my nails done and I'm getting massages. And that is so not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is really taking the space and time that I need in order to be calm and centered and balanced so that I can model that for my kids because modeling is really where all the learning comes in. Amen, sister. <laughs> and so so much of the modeling that we do, we have no idea that we're doing. And I think often um, I'm really good about staying calm and being respectful with my kids. But sometimes I get more irritable with my husband, I probably because he's an adult and I feel like he should like mm-hmm. get it. And <laughs> so, but I, and I check myself that when I do find myself getting more frustrated with my husband, that I 
know that my kids are watching and my kids are watching the relationship between my husband and I and how important that that relationship is for their future of relationships and for their relationship with me. I think that they're constantly watching those the people in their lives and how they talk to each other and how they interact. And that's how they learn to have friends and to have future romantic relationships, whatever type of relationship that might be. Mm-hmm. And we and we want those we want them in those relationships to be able to um, to be able to speak skillfully, to be able to advocate for themselves, and also to be able to, you know, find their own their own fulfillment and their own peace, and not say it's going to all come from somebody else, right? Like right. it all it all cycles back. It's amazing. Yes, and one thing that I found personally that I know that I need to take care of myself is time to myself. And that is so important that I know that I need a couple hours every day to myself. I usually do, I I do work during that time. It's not like I'm going out, like I said, getting my nails done or that sort of thing. But even if I'm working, I'm doing something, pursuing my own career, pursuing my own goals. And I feel like an independent person. And when you have two small children at home, that independent person sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. And that is something that is is absolutely critical for me to maintain my calm and my relationships because I'm a better wife and I'm a better mom when I get that time. So that's something that's been super important for me. Is there anything that you feel like has been really vital to you? Oh no, I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that time. And it's so funny because I work with my clients all the time on this, but actually like for myself, that was actually something I was, um, I was pretty intuitive about, like, I knew I needed that. I needed (laughs) to call my own crazy, you know, I needed that time. Um, You know, I'm, I'm attracted to mindfulness meditation and to yoga and those things because I really need it. You know, I need to, you know, I always struggled. I used to struggle when I was like for my whole life with um, big ups and downs of emotion and, um, and those tools that I've, I've discovered and I've been practicing meditation now for like, 13 years, you know, that's been such an anchor in my life because I need it, right? I need those tools and I need that time. Um, Absolutely time is something for me, you know, uh, being in nature is something for me. I'm looking out um, at all the, in my little, I kind of live in this little forest, I guess, and and being in nature is is really, really important to me. It's important for me. I have to, I know I have to, um, you know, I just need a little of everything. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Like we need some time, like, yes, we need time for things that are noble, like maybe our, our, our mindfulness practice or our being in nature and stuff like that. But we also need time to like go get drinks with our girlfriends and go watch a ridiculous movie. You know, like we need to do have those things in our lives too. And sometimes you know, of course, when, you know, your baby comes and your whole world's turned upside down, like life is crazy and everything's turned upside down. But we have to remember that it's not always going to be this way. And as our kids start to get a little older and we we can have it's really important that you, you know, it's important to create, um, you know, create that time for yourself to do whatever, whether it's go get your drinks with your girlfriend or go for a walk in nature or have your meditation time. It's important to create that time, I think, sort of right from the beginning and not 
not fall into the ridiculous like mommy martyr syndrome like where you know you have to do everything you know the baby has to be sort of attached to you all the time like it's actually really helpful for babies to be have loving really lots of loving relationships with the father or with you know the wonderful babysitter or the grandmother and all those things like it's it's important that you know we it's, it goes back to that control thing like it you know having a baby can bring up all this fear and that fear can bring up this like, Oh, I think I'm going to control everything. And the truth is like, it feels paradoxical, but actually sometimes like having a little surrender and a little bit of, um, a little bit of letting go and just letting be is, is what creates more space and more ease in the long run for sure. And it's not indulgent. And I think that's a misconception too, is that a lot of women think it's indulgent to take care of yourself. And I'm not sure where that came from, that idea. I feel like we, in the generation that we are, a lot of parents are sort of doing it on their own without a lot of community and extended family support. And I think, you know, 30 years ago when we had, or even longer, whenever it was that people were raising children more in community than they are today, I think people always had support of others. And now we feel like as that support is fading and we're sort of parenting more independently without as much community, we, we're we putting more and more pressure on ourselves to be everything, everywhere, all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Like a child is you know, a huge responsibility. It's like kind of the, it's crazy making to think that it's just us. I, I mean, yeah, no, that time for ourselves is not indulgent at all. In fact, it's it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to keep your, your sanity and your peace and all of that. But, but yeah, it is, it's like, to think, you know, to think of how sort of for millennia, human beings, we, if you had a baby, there were a whole bunch of people around you, like auntie was right there to hand off the baby if you had to want to go do something. And it's, it's so, uh, it doesn't make any sense that we're, we're kind of like one person all alone in a room in a house or an apartment with, you know, a, a small child all day is like, a, is certainly a recipe for disaster. Sometimes I think of like, like if the Dalai Lama <laughs> were like, we're like stuck with like a four-year-old on a snow, you know, for like a snow day <laughs> or like two snow days in a row, like what would happen? Right. And I really think like the Dalai Lama would totally get mad at some point, but he just wouldn't be angry at himself for being mad. He would be like, Oh yeah, well, kids are crazy. You know, like whatever, yeah. you know, he wouldn't care. You know, he, not that he wouldn't care, but he would, he wouldn't, you know, berate himself for, for being mad. He would understand this, this humanity. But I think that absolutely as we, if we can get, you know, I used to go to the Y and take her to the childcare there and, you know, it's this highly sensitive child. Like she didn't want to go there, but I was like, no, you must go because I'm going to lose my marbles if you don't go. And and so they would like, I would give her to the childcare and then I'd go work out and they'd come get me in like 15 minutes. I'd be like, no. And then I'd go get her. And then I, but I would, I kept persisting. Like I go back again, they'd come get me in like 20 minutes. And then I'd go back again, they'd come get me in, you know, 35 minutes. And eventually she stayed the whole hour and she never loved childcare at the YMCA. And when she was older, she was like, I don't want to go to childcare at the YMCA. And I'd say, I know you hate it. I know, but we have to do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? For the well-being of everyone in your family, because if your well-being is intact, 
then the well-being of the other people in your family is going to be intact. And this makes me think of the idea that, you know, 30 years ago, there was no such thing as like rock and plays and bouncers for babies, really, because we had somebody else to pass the baby to. You know, we could hold the baby and rock the baby. And then grandma was there or an aunt was there to take over for us. And those devices were really invented because we're sort of parenting in a vacuum these days. And we need somewhere to put babies. Um, And this is sort of makes this idea that, you know, we used to have this community of support to just physically hold babies for us when we needed hands free. Um, And then now that we don't have that support, we've had these devices and there's so much now in the media that says, you know, don't leave your child in a bouncer or in a device. And then we're sort of swinging back towards this idea of attachment parenting where you should carry your baby all day and have them on you all the time. And there is a lot in me and, you know, in my former career as a therapist, I did work with a lot of attachment issues and I worked with some failed adoptions and that sort of thing where there were severe attachment um, challenges. And this idea of attachment parenting where children need to be on us all the time to be connected to us makes me nervous for the well-being of parents. And I've, I've seen some, and I think that it can be, some people can find a really healthy balance with it, but I think that it can really take a toll on some of us. I know that I didn't, I couldn't have my first baby on me all the time, that that didn't make me feel whole and it made me feel overwhelmed and I needed physical space. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people need that. And, and, and I know the worry about that is that it kind of, it's, it, it adds this layer of guilt and all this pressure on like the mom and things like that. You know, I practiced kind of attachment parenting style more or less. I, my, my ergo baby carrier was my greatest thing. And, but I also strapped that ergo baby carrier on the 12 year old mother's helper who came to my house too, to give me some time and said, here, go take her for a walk in this, you know, or, um, you know, and my husband used it and my mom, my mom used it as well. Um, and there's wonderful ways to kind of, you know, if that's something that, you know, the listener, like if you, you know, you want to practice attachment parenting, it can be great, but it's not like if it's, it, if it's, you're, you're practicing these sort of techniques to the detriment of you, then that's, that's, that's not so great. It's kind of like the whole sleep thing. Like it can be some people, it's wonderful to like sleep with their kids. And for some people it drives them bananas and they can't they lose their sleep and they've turned into a crazy person and then that's not so great it's not so great for anyone so you know with all these things we kind of have to you know look at ourselves and say you know is is this helpful or is this hurtful and and really kind of get that the support of people around us for sure Yes, and finding what works best for you as an individual. And sometimes what you read in a book doesn't work for your family, and sometimes it does. And you can't set up those expectations in advance. That's something that I learned for sure, that I I had no idea what was going to work for me and for my family until I had my kids. And what worked for my first did not work for my second. And having that ability to be flexible is so important. Yeah, yeah. And just give yourself permission to to make your own sanity (laughs) priority number one and that's that's okay you know that's you're allowed to do like that there's lots of ways to have happy healthy kids lots of wonderful ways yes I couldn't agree more so this has been really wonderful hunter and I've really enjoyed our chat I'm hoping we can chat again sometime soon yeah no Um, absolutely do you have any resources that you'd like to share with the audience because I think that they could really learn more from you 
Sure. Yeah. At um, mindfulmamamentor.com. I have um, <clears throat> actually I have a whole page of free resources and there, you know, there's a link, you know, free it's mindfulmamamentor.com slash free resources. There's a course a little mini course there, five simple things you can take to be less irritable as your child. And if you want to start your own mindfulness practice, I have free guided meditations there. I have one that's three minutes long. So you, dear listener, you have three minutes in your life and a guided loving kindness meditation and even a very simple minimal yoga practice that you can do in your life. So you could create your own wonderful nourishing daily practice just from this page. So it's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash free resources. Great. And I will put that in the show notes. And I think sometimes three minutes a day we underestimate how powerful that can be. That three minutes could entirely change the course of your day. Yes, absolutely. Three minutes of meditation done every day is much more powerful than 20 minutes done once a week or once a month because you're creating a habit of stopping, <laughs> of not of, of stopping that I'm doing, doing, doing all the time. I'm just stopping and being and creating a habit of it matters for me to have quiet time and to take care of my inner resources. Like this is important. And yeah, it's, it, it can make a huge difference. I agree. Thank you so much, Hunter. This has been really fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Danae. Thank you for the work you're doing and and for your podcast. This is so great. And I've really had a wonderful time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to find more information about Hunter or the things that we talked about today, you can go to the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 112. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate if you could leave a review and a rating on iTunes. I appreciate your support. Have a good one.